0: Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Ed McDonald, author of the new novel Daughter of Red Winter. Publishers Weekly wrote about Daughter of Red Winter, uncommonly vivid and vigorous sword and sorcery novel. Ed, welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's nice to be here. Absolutely. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your new novel, Daughter of Red Winter, how would you describe the novel?
1: So I would say on outward appearances, it's um a novel that has a sort of medievalish Scottish kind of setting. Um, and there's all the kind of magic and ghosts and uh treachery that you might expect from that kind of book. But really, it's also very much a character study novel. Um the the protagonist and her journey, her search for uh to find a place in the world is really at the heart of what this
0: book's all about that's great and i'm wondering do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write daughter of red winter
1: i do so so it, this book's come on quite a long journey um i wrote a book back in sometime around 2012 which was uh sort of 300,000 words long um and it was all about my university experiences <laughs> in, thinly disguised um uh, as a fantasy novel. Um, and after I finished my, my first series of books, the Raven's Mark books, um, I was a bit lost as, and I tried a few different things and I ended up coming back to this long ago, trumped away idea. Um, and as I played around with it, uh, I found that there were a few small ideas from the book, which I could salvage. And I I just wrote, I wrote from scratch again. I I didn't reuse any of that old material, but, um, so some, some of the key themes, but it's very much, I always think like books are of their time uh, for the author and where, where the author is in life. So there's a lot about my life in there as well. Um, it's just, obviously I'm not a teenage girl seeing ghosts and uh, (laughs) (laughs) trying to defeat cults and things like that, but. Um, there's a there's a lot of me in the book, I would say.
0: And I'm curious, what was your initial writing journey that led you to write and get your first novel published? So
1: I've I would say I've been writing books since uh, well as as long as I can remember. Going, you know, I was I used to do um write, draw my own Batman and Judge Dredd and things like that when I was a kid. And me and my sister wrote a uh, a little series of not well, we thought it was a novel in like you know there's exercise books that you get at school mm-hmm. um yeah, we wrote in that and uh and me and my brother had a, a comic of our own that we drew for about off and on for about nine years uh, and so i'd I'd always been writing um and then, once I was in my twenties, I started off and on trying to see if I could get the novels I was writing published um and actually what happened was uh, I, I'd written that 300,000-word book and an agent told me, this is far too long to publish. <laughs> <laughs> like, like no one is going to publish a debut author's 300,000-word novel. So I decided I'd write something much shorter. Um, and I wrote a book called Blackwing, which um, an agent received it and uh, asked me if I could cut 50,000 words from the book um, so I diligently went away and I cut my 50,000 words. And after I'd done that, he then turned me down. <laughs> <laughs> um, and about two days later, another agent got in touch. Um, so he received the the edited version. Um, and four days later, he was my agent. And a couple of weeks later, we had UK and US, um, French and German uh, interest um and it all it all jumped off from there really
0: wow wow so what about fantasy appeals to you as a writer and a reader well
1: i always say about fantasy that you could take away all the fantasy elements and change them into science fiction or vice versa or even you could just set it in the modern day world and you should still have the same story at the core of the book because it's the character journey that we're always going to be interested in and seeing the character uh develop and how her struggles change her through the narrative that's what the reader's really into um even though readers don't really realize that that's what they're enjoying however the fantasy elements i mean there's i i'm tra- i trained as an ancient historian an archaeologist and a medieval historian um and you know it's a lot of research if you want to write historical fiction. <laughs> it's an awful lot of work to do um but in fantasy you just get to make it up um which it gives you a certain freedom in the kind of stories that you want to tell. you're not limited by anything um other than your own narrative storytelling capabilities so i think there's a sense of freedom but i also just really like swords
0: (laughs) well well on that note i read that you train in the historical european martial arts can you tell us about that
1: yeah i mean it's it's all part and parcel of the same thing really i um i guess it probably sometime in the early 2010s um I used to do uh, sort of sport fencing, um, like you'd see at the Olympics, and it just never felt realistic um, because, you know, it's a sport; it's designed to be very, very safe. And so, I started looking for people who had, um, who actually trained in in an authentic, historical way. And so, we have these surviving um, treaties going back as far as i think 1290 ish around 1290 is our earliest one um and these are the the treaties that were written by the sword fighting instructors of the day um and they you know they're all written in medieval german or uh italian um various other languages that you you know you, it would be hard it's hard to read uh, middle english even if you're an english speaker um, so we take what they've written and we translate it uh and then we try and work out what they're telling us to do and so you know these treaties will say and if he comes at you from uh the right then you will step into him and do x y and z um of course if it was it, it's not actually as simple as that because the, <laughs> a, lot of the te- a lot of the terminology doesn't make sense and tried to describe two people moving in a three-dimensional space sure. uh, is is pretty tricky, but we have we have illustrations to help so we try and work out what they're telling us to do, and then we try to build that into a safe system where we can test that and see if it works on each other um, which my my poor fingers and head will attest it generally does
0: and I'm curious, what are the weapons that you're using? I mean, are they like blunt? Um uh I mean I am are they, you know, swords with edges or, or what 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 are the type of uh weapons? So
1: obviously we can't use swords which have sharp edges. Right, right. Or, or we would cut each other to pieces. Yeah, um, yeah. So there are a number of manufacturers out there who produce very specialist training uh equipment for this purpose, which is quite is quite hard to do. Because you're trying to simulate a length of steel which has uh, the same weight as the swords that we, we want to um, test. Because if, if it's much lighter, then it doesn't work. And at the same time, the heavier it gets, the more risk of injury. Right. So they have to do a lot of clever things, like they'll make the outsides thicker and the middle of the, the blade will be uh, hollowed out, um, be ground out. So that we can try and get the same weight, but we want thick, blunt edges. Um, I mean, it, it hurt. You, you We have to wear like quite a lot of protective equipment: um, right. three or four layers of different padding, um, reinforced masks, things like that. Um, because, I yeah, I mean, the time the times when you get caught on an unprotected bit, um, <laughs> it, you, you hope it's a bruise. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm curious, uh, what is your writing process when you're working on a novel like Daughter of Red Winter? Are you someone who does a lot of outlining before you sit down to write? Um, uh, do you kind of just dive into the narrative? What does that look like for you?
1: I don't know if you guys uh, have like this spaghetti, which is like all letters and numbers and stuff. We Alphabetic spaghetti. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, if you imagine just like emptying a bunch of cans of that in your sink and then like staring into it and hoping that there's a story in there um that is my best description i have of any kind of process that that i i go through um i don't plan anything uh hopefully i have an idea about where the story is going to go but more often i just have a feeling about who the main character is and the type of journey that i want them to experience um which isn't a lot to go on. Um, and (laughs) then i i start them off somewhere and and see what happens and so much of my writing is influenced by the things that are going on in my life around me at the time what i feel are current political and social issues uh things that i feel are truths that don't get spoken out loud and fantasies are a really really great way of um commenting on our political society so Uh, In Daughter of Redwinter, one of the characters um, I think readers might recognize as uh, having uh, incel tendencies, Um, this kind of denial of his own, uh, uh, how his actions impact other people and his expectations for um, how other people ought to give him things. And so... Often there's just themes and ideas that I've got in my head, or a lot of Daughter of Red Winter comes from conversations I had late night with my partner. We accidentally moved in together during COVID. Um, <laughs> I was meant to be staying in a flat for uh, three weeks, and on the first week, COVID lockdown came down and we got stuck together um, thereafter. I mean, I, th- I think we're all trying to forget um, a, a lot of it, but <laughs> yeah, stuck true. there. And, and so we ended up telling each other basically our life stories. And one of the things that I came away from those stories with was just a realization and a better understanding of how fundamentally different the world around you is if you're female um, compared to, you know, I'm, I'm a six foot tall, I'd love to say 200 pounds, it's probably wrong. Um, twenty compound guy, and you know, just the idea that I can walk to the twenty four hour shop at four in the morning in London, and I'd never, you know, would never think about it, and how different her world is to mine, just on that basis, and so a lot of that sort of emerged into into the book. Um. So yeah, no, no process really, just random amalgamations of thoughts, which. I then I always end up having to delete half of what I've written. There's a lot of dead ends. There's a lot of right. uh, plots that never resolve, and I change them and I delete them and I rewrite them. And really, I, it, it's even hard to imagine that I have a proper story until I get to a heavy edit process.
0: Um, I, I'm curious with that, just in terms of like the mechanics. Um, are you? And I'm always wondering about this when I when I talk to writers. Are you? Um, creating multiple like uh documents to like you know as you're cutting stuff that you're throwing it into another document or do you just delete it and it's gone and like how do you manage that do you know what i mean yeah
1: um i mean i think i think it's usually a bad idea to delete anything for just (laughs) outright (laughs) um you may always change your mind the next day um usually usually there's a pretty good gut feeling on it but um, say just saving, resaving the document as another version of itself uh, before you make any significant changes. So, for instance, the, the protagonist in *Daughter of Red Winter* was originally written as a male character, um, which you wouldn't think given the the name of the book. Um, uh, in in at least the very early p- proto form of the book, and the point at which I decided to change the character. I decided to mull it over for three days uh, because I knew it was going to be a lot of work and it would fundamentally change who that character was going to be. Um, So the original version is still kicking around on a hard drive somewhere. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, it would be ill-advised to delete large chunks and sections without, (laughs) uh, without keeping it somewhere, I think. Sure.
0: Well, Are you working on another novel now?
1: I'm actually working on the sequel at the moment. Um, there's two more books in the series scheduled. Um, so I've, I've written the entire t- entirety of the, uh, the second novel, uh, and I'm, I'm in that editing process at the moment. So throughout the novel, I have a number of headings which say in capital letters, there must be a conversation about X here or Y can't <laughs> happen. Um, so I'm I'm going through trying to trying to make sense of it all. Um and a second book is much, much harder for this than a first book. In the first book, you can do anything you want and you've got no responsibility and no one can tell you it's wrong. And then you get to the second book and it's like, oh, but I said this about them in book one. Oh no. That means they, they have to still this character still has to come from that particular place, even though I want them to be some, from somewhere else. Um so it's a lot more confining. Um, it has challenges of its own.
0: Advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels?
1: So, um, my my brother and sister are both um, writers as well. Although she, my sister works in musical theatre and my brother uh, does screenwriting. Um, and what I always find is, unfortunately, most advice just falls on deaf ears and people. <laughs> People are going to do whatever they want to do anyway, but um, honestly, my, my main advice would be uh, that I think is practical is do not edit as you go, just just write until you have a story completed. There's no value in agonizing over individual lines or clever metaphors or any of the, any of the detail, um, because you might cut the whole chapter. When you get to the end, you, you don't know that, that the, uh, the sentence that you're laboring over is actually going to be in the book in any format. So I think a lot of people slow themselves down quite a lot by feeling like they have to be perfectionists. First drafts are sloppy. They are a big mess of all the ideas you've had r- ramblingly thrown together. I'd just be happy with that. Just get
0: to the end. That's great. Well, what books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Um, you know, so
1: I find it very difficult these days to read the types of books that I used to enjoy. Um, the, as soon as I I became a published author, then I found that it always felt like work, but, um, there there have been a few, um, recently, um, Nettle and Bone by T. Kingfisher, uh, who's also, I think, Ursula Vernon. Um, it's, a, it's a lovely, um, original, fairy tale-like story um, with a bit of grit thrown in. So I enjoyed that a lot. Um, I also, um, Mick Heron's books, um, I don't know if you're familiar, um, they've just been adapted for TV into uh, the Slow Horses series, um, which was also very good. Um, but I, I read those, and uh, you know, I, my guilty pleasure is like Lee Child's books. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like if if you want to just read something where you don't have to worry too hard about reading, <laughs> um, then Jack Reacher books um, for me. It's it's like a, a way of switching my mind off while I'm reading. Um, so yeah. All, well, where I, can
0: people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your latest novel, Daughter of Red Winter?
1: Uh so um they can either go to uh my website edmcdonaldwriting.com uh or they can find me on Twitter uh I am at edmcdonaldtfk and what the tfk stands for uh history does not record um no idea where that came from these days <laughs> like, I think it was something to do with when i used to like play online shooting games like uh like counter strike or something like that um, but Ed McDonald, TFK on Twitter, uh, and edmcdonaldwriting.com.
0: That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Ed McDonald, author of the new novel, Daughter of Red Winter. The novel has just been released, so go buy a copy. And Ed, thanks for doing this interview.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Absolutely.
2: Kill him, Hazier he yelled back at me. Kill him before he takes your mind. There was a savage determination on the fallen rider's wide, round face. One cheek was grazed and bloody, but he still had a grip on his sword and he came on, ignoring the dying horse behind him. His murderous intent was clear, his shoulders working up and down. The drums grew louder, louder. Dum, dum, dum. Dum, dum, dum. I was taller, but I couldn't outrun him and help Hesia. She'd fallen down a short way on, staring back with terrified eyes. Drop the bow, girl, the old man bellowed. He favoured one leg, the barest twitch of an eye and the clench of his teeth telling me he hadn't fallen well. You don't know what you're dealing with. I will kill you if I have to. I'll only warn you once, I shouted. I will shoot you. It was true. It had to be true. I could do it. I had to be able to do it. No, he growled. You won't. He was stocky, built like an ox, and he made an easy target, floundering through the snow. I'd given a warning, couldn't ask much more than that. My second arrow was for him. Braith would be proud of me. He always said I was too soft, that the world was hard and I needed to harden myself to match. Not all lives were precious. That's what he said. Draw. Settle. Breathe out. Release. Snap of string against bracer. The arrow flew. The warrior struck out and caught it. Caught it? My damn arrow!